U.S. Open week is finally here. Chip Patterson here. First cut podcast with Kyle Porter. Kyle Porter, uh, he is packing his bags for Long Island. He is going to wear all of his fanciest clothes for the first incorporated (laughs) country club. Nothing short of what uh, a late 19th century uh, Monsieur Vanderbilt would approve of. Um, <laughs> how we feeling, man? It's Monday morning. This is this is it. I'm very very excited for you and for us and for all golf fans uh, as we head into the U.S. Open. Yeah, I'm great. I've been grinding on late 1800s New York Times articles from uh, <laughs> from not only the second U.S. Open, which was played at Shinnecock, but also the uh, second U.S. Am which was played the day before the second U.S. Open at Shinnecock, which is an absurd thing to think about right now. But, uh, yeah, we've come a long way since, uh, I think it was 1896 was uh, the first U.S. Open at Shinnecock. But, man, I, I'm fired up. I mean, this is this is obviously, I just feel like every major right now is monumental. And, you know, I, I wrote this a little bit, but part of that is Tiger. And part of it is just like, I mean, I, I go through the top 20 in the world. You've got like 13 either surefire Hall of Famers or guys that are trending in that direction. I mean, that's it's absurd. I, you know, it, it's it's a crazy time in golf, and Shinnecock is an awesome course, and I'm excited, like I was in 2016, to see uh, one of the classics and uh, see who it produces as the, as the champion on, on Sunday night. Okay. Uh, I've got nine over unders that I'm going to sprinkle through this podcast. And you, you touched on one right there. Um, but I, I had it set a little bit differently. Um, I, I extended it. So over under number one, the first hole of the over under uh, nine hole series, Kyle Porter <laughs> um, on the official world golf rankings. Do you believe that the winner will become will be higher or lower uh, over under 14 and a half? Uh, is under closer to one? I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's go under. I don't think I don't think there's any. I agree with you. And and, and the, the premise for this is I don't I don't think there's any chance that we're going to get a rando winner here. I'm sell like like of course that's, I say that and we've got Ryan Moore who's going to be charging through those doors uh, collecting the the collect, collecting the trophy on Sunday but I I just it you know and a lot of things sort of factor into that but you know I go down the odds list and I was like man I just it, it's got to be one of these guys it's a it's a bold uh, it's a bold statement on on Monday afternoon. Uh, JB Holmes is going to tweet this podcast at you on uh, on Sunday evening. But yeah, Justin Ray had a had a great stat on at the end of last week. He said each of the last seven U.S. Open champions was in the top thirty, and the average winner was ranked twelfth. So we've gotten, I mean, we've gotten a run of like really good winners. And and here's what's interesting about that though, is that I was looking back at the last, I don't know, 10 or so, there have been kind of some blowouts. I mean, I think like four of the last six or seven have been uh, three shots or more. Now the DJ one was exciting, even though he won by three, just because of the penalty and, and all that. Right. But like you had Keimer by eight, you had Rory by eight, you had Kepka by four last year. That's not, that's not really a throwing finish. Um, but man, I'm with you. It's just it's so it's so difficult to see a place like Shinnecock producing a 
a golfer outside the top 20 when you have as many guys inside the top 20 or top, what did I say, 14 that are playing as well as they are right now. So I just, I have to think that the the eventual winner is inside the top 14. Yeah. And uh, since I'm guessing most of our listeners don't just have them pulled up, the reason why I chose 14 and a half is because uh, the big game hunter, Mark Leishman is currently at 14. I think Mark Leishman can win this. Sergio Garcia at 15, Alex Noren, Henrik Stenson, Molinari behind him. Uh, Then you get into Bubba, Phil, Webb, and Bryson. All those players are players that I think can and might be uh, around on the weekend, but I'm not expecting with with Stinson, and we'll continue to unpack this. Stinson's sort of the one I can't figure out right now, but above Mark Leishman, Patrick Reed, I could see Patrick Reed winning. Tommy Fleetwood, Paul Casey, Hideki Matsuyama, Brooks Kepka, Jason Day. Like there's a there seems to be right there between twelve and twenty somewhere that that sort of seems to be the dividing line where I think everybody above that that's that that's where you're going to see your champion come from. You know who scares me post fourteen post. Uh, spot 14 and a half, uh, Phil and Bryson, they're, tw- they're 20 and 22. They, they both, that's concerning. It's very concerning. Uh, Phil, Phil, like, I think Phil can win this week. I'm not, I, I, uh, it, it's, I know it's crazy. He's going to be 48 on Saturday. He's playing really well. Shot a 65 on Sunday, played pretty good at Memorial. Uh, he's got two top. Uh, we, we're going to get to Phil in a second. He's got two top fives at Shinnecock. I mean, I just I, nobody's real. Like everybody's talking Tiger and DJ and you know all these different guys. And I, I know Phil gets talked about every U.S. Open, uh, but I just I don't know. He's kind of coming in under the radar. I, I don't know. It, it's going to be his week is is going to be really fascinating. I think. Okay, so uh, on CBSSports.com right now, I I, sh- I certainly hope. Uh, based on when we're recording this and the 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 thousands and thousands of words and once again like I said master's week like if you took all of Kyle's work that he puts up on cbsports.com printed it all out and bound it in a glossy cover it would be the <laughs> absolute best like preview magazine for your flight to long island like it is it is comprehensive it is entertaining there's good stuff in there so uh, make sure that you are checking out cbsports.com you are uh, you're on top of all that because that is the best way that you can get prepared. He's got nine storylines, and that's going to be uh, sort of our roadmap for this discussion. Uh, but before we get deep into it, I, I do want to talk about Memphis, where Dustin Johnson, um, yeah. just it, the the guy is playing at um, a, a level, and I think that you did a good job in your write-up from Memphis if – you realize that half of his career wins have come in the last three years and you're just, you know, you, you kind of have to take a step back that and realize, you know, sort of we are not just watching one of the all-time greats, but we are watching one of the all-time greats at his peak right now in this moment. How long can it go on? I, I don't know, but there's certainly no signs of it slowing down in 2018. Yeah, first in strokes gain uh, total this year. First in strokes gain tee to green. First in strokes gain off the tee. Uh, first in scoring yeah, average. Scoring at number one scoring average on the tour too. First Stupid. in official go- world golf ring. I mean, he he is. Um, it becomes a little a little rote, and I I I get it. Like the St. Jude Classic in Andrew Putnam, you're like, okay, you know, whatever. Uh, but 
I don't know if people appreciate what he's doing. I mean, he's he's about to get to 20 wins. Uh, he is, you know, he wanted Oakmont. I, 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 I do think for his, for like the sake of legacy, he needs to add a couple more majors. Maybe just one, maybe, maybe two or three. I, I don't, I don't know what the number is, but getting to 20 wins on the PGA tour in this era is, that's pretty crazy. And when the majority of them have come in, I would say the better half in terms of competitiveness on the PGA tour of his career, because uh, when he started out, that was that weird f- kind of phase when Tiger was sort of ejecting and like you had Luke Donald as the world number one, no offense to Luke Donald. You had Martin Keimer, no offense to Martin Keimer. But like these last three years have been, I think, as good as the PGA Tour has ever been. And that's when he's been dominating. <laughs> and, the, and the way he won on Sunday, walking after a whole out eagle from uh, 170 yards. I mean, it, it's just... It's a joke. He's so good. And that that's why like he's the 9 to 1 favorite coming into this week. I think the next closest is uh I think Rory at 14 to 1 and that's a big gap. That's a gap you don't usually see at a major championship, but he's deserving of it. Yeah. I mean I I, I just he he's I always talk about how like the Masters runs through Jordan Spieth every year no matter how he's playing coming in. I think the U.S. Open right now, and maybe for the foreseeable future, runs through DJ. Does that mean he's going to win every year? No, but he's the guy to beat not only this year, but next year at Pebble, the the year after at Wingfoot, and uh, I don't know. He, he's unbelievably impressive right now. Dustin Johnson career wins over under twenty four and a half. I'd go over. I mean, he's only he, I think he's thirty three or thirty four years old, and the the clip that he's winning at, I, you know. Does this, does that swing hold up when you're like 46? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, but he 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 just like he doesn't. <laughs> this is this is a weird kind of bizarre thing to say. He doesn't seem to get super mentally fatigued, and I know there's a ton of jokes to be made about that, but. Uh, why because it's hard to get fatigued if you never stretch your mind at all like if it's if 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 you're not exerting any mental energy then it's just a a endless supply of mental energy is that basically the game i mean and that's not a bad thing because it's like that kind of fortitude especially at you know the u.s open could i can see that being an advantage totally and you you look at somebody like bryson the week (laughs) like after they win and it looks like they've just been you know, there's just mentally ex- like he just needs to like sleep for four days because he's been thinking so much over the course of a tournament. And DJ looks like, yeah, let's, you know, let's go play another 18. Like when's the, when's the next event? And that's such a, and, and it, just his ability to take in all the information, however he does it, and then spit out what he spits out, which is one of the most unique swings in the world. And obviously one of the best ball strikers in this era, if not ever, it's kind of remarkable. And I know people joke about how he's like, uh, you know, be, like he he's beyond thinking. Like he just he just perceives things, which is hilarious. But it's also it's kind of true. Like he just goes out and hits the golf ball and the tournament, you know, collects trophies. Like that's a great way to do things, and in a way that I think probably so, it would benefit some of the other top players in the world. Do you think that there is uh, a little bit, especially a little bit of an experience factor 
that is benefiting Dustin Johnson when we're looking at um, you know what is going to be separating some of the the golfers up here at the top of the world when we do have this youth movement that he is not a part of that you know at some point and maybe that's what is happening right now is uh, all of the experience maybe even on the course or off the course you know we could we could throw everything into it but has positioned him um, so that there is a much less chance of getting rattled. Yeah, I think your experience can work against you when you're that good if and we've seen this with Rory a little bit, if you're if you have if you struggle to maintain your hunger, uh I don't think DJ really struggles with that. I think it's just always the same. And so I think the experience part of it works in his favor. You're just naturally gonna be better after ten years on tour than in your first or second year. I mean, it would be difficult not to be. You know, just because of all the knowledge and uh, experience that you've accumulated. And I don't I don't think he struggles with hunger and desire. I think he just really enjoys playing golf and being great at it. And so I I think the experience part works uh, in his favor for sure. Like where on one side it's uh, well, we knew we knew on the the right side of the rough it was going to be a 20 yard hopper. And, uh, you know, we're going to be like at this kind of air density, like Dustin Johnson comes up and he's like, yeah, I mean, I th- kind of thought it was a gap wedge. Gave it a shot. <laughs> right? Like, you just... I, I mean, we've... Uh, I was playing in a, a tournament here, um, just like a a, sat- a Saturday hat pool tournament, and I, I just talk a whole bunch of smack. I'm not very good, but, you know, it's just... I, I feel like Dustin Johnson is the epitome of uh, an attitude I use in the course. It's like, just know your club, you know? It's just like... I don't know. Don't don't try and overthink this. Don't try and uh, calculate the the wind right now. Like it's you're you're right there from that tee box on this par three. It's gonna it's gonna be this club every single time, and you're either gonna hit it good or you're not. And uh, well, yeah, Dustin Johnson and, feels like the epitome of that. Yeah, by the end of the week, you're not. You know, like you get like on Sunday if Bryson is leading this tournament. He's going to walk to the first hole and look like he hasn't slept all week. Uh, Ryan Labner had a great tweet from. He, he got this quote from a college coach that was observing Bryson like five years ago or whatever and said, he's either going to be awesome or on the PGA tour or he's going to be in a straight jacket in five years <laughs> because, because there's just, so, and physically they get to the same point, right? Like they both hit the golf ball really well, but mentally it just takes so much out of you to calculate air density and you know, the cosine of the, you know, slope of the, you know, whatever, whatever Bryson is doing or Phil or anybody like that. And DJ just, he's just mentally the same throughout a tournament. And, and, uh, I, I think Ricky's like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. And we've, we've talked about how that w- w- like works to his disadvantage at times, but I think, uh, on a course that's playing really, really tough, like Shinnecock could play this week. It could work to his advantage. Okay. I Googled this several times and all I did was I kept landing at, uh, your write-up, so shout out to the SEO uh, machine to <laughs> to always point me back to CBS Sports and give you the clicks. Um, has anyone won in Memphis and then gone on to win the U.S. Open? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, no, nobody's won the week before. I don't know if Memphis has always been the week before the U.S. Open. But, but no one's won two weeks in a row with the second being the U.S. Open. Yeah, DJ's post history though. He he's he's, he's not about that. Get out of here. <laughs> he's he, that's not his deal. Like if that was Phil, I'd be real really worried, really concerned. But DJ, nah. 
nah, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. So, I mean, let's just play spoiler. So we're both picking Dustin Johnson to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to, be, to, to be fair, I picked him and you might have too. I picked him last Thursday or Friday and it's actually all, I, I have tape of it because I, uh, me and, uh, my buddy Carson Cunningham taped a uh, podcast with Mike Holder, who's the athletic director at Oklahoma State, and we asked for his U.S. Open pick, and I gave mine uh, as Dustin Johnson on Friday. I was uh, on Saturday. I said I was either going to pick DJ or Ricky, and on that's, Sunday, that's I was what like, I was deciding through. Yeah, I just um, all right. Let's let's dig into these storylines because including in, included in that storyline is. Uh, you know what? Uh, why? Why I'm just for some reason disrespecting Jordan Spieth and might end up eating my words the way that Jordan Spieth mm. always makes his uh, detractors do that. But we begin with Phil. Um, it, like, let's see. He's he's not only. I don't know if you've heard Kyle, but he's trying to complete the career slam. <laughs> don't know if you've. I don't know if you've heard Kyle, but. Uh, he was, and you know, this is Phil is a big part of the the course history here because we haven't been back at Shinnecock since 2004 and 2004 was when, you know, Mark Richt lost control of the pro, you know, though that was the the running (laughs) joke of Georgia Bulldogs and, and the USGA lost control of Shinnecock in 2004 and it was baked out (laughs) and you couldn't hold, you just couldn't hold it on number seven on the par three. Um, you know, Phil has gone on and continued to be one of the harshest critics of the USGA. We mentioned on last week's pod about how he was already, uh, starting to to get the criticism ready. Him and Rory both coming after him. He's got two top fives at Shinnecock U.S. Opens. This isn't like I, this is it. Like it, I, you, I, I, you gotta would, make it happen. I wish I could go back to 2004, invent Twitter, and tweet out Mark Richt has lost control of the Shinnecock Greens. Exactly, it would have been perfect. <laughs> the first tweet ever would also be the greatest tweet of all time. Um, <laughs> Phil, I think, has two real shots left at U.S. Opens. And, and he sort of said this. There was a great piece on Golf Digest by Dave Shedlowski talking about his 4 U.S. Open. Uh, he's tied with, with uh, Retief Goosen going to 17, hits it in the bunker on 17, the par 3, and it lands in front of a rock. And he, he hadn't talked about this, I guess, until now, but he hit the rock coming out. It went past the hole. He three putts from five feet, loses by two. But he, anyway, in the piece he talked about, he said something like, if it doesn't happen in the next two or three years, I don't really think it's ever going to happen. So I don't think, I don't think he's going to win at Wingfoot when he's 50 in, in, in uh, two years from now. I think it's either here or Pebble and that's it. Like those are the only places I was out on Phil, uh, for the most part at Shinnecock, just, for a variety of reasons. I don't like that he's playing three weeks in a row and he's struggled this this year in the last few years with energy issues, as he calls them. Uh, that's not, I don't know. That, I, I don't love the three weeks in a row thing. Um, but he does have a great history. And I, I've just, I've always been circling Pebble next year as the place. I mean, what, what a place to win the slam. But Shinnecock too, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of... T- <laughs> This always happens. The closer we get to the U.S. Open, the more I'm talking myself into Phil. Uh, and he shoots 65 on Sunday at, at uh, Memphis. He's been one of the top five or ten guys on the PGA Tour in in uh, approach shots this year, which is going to be... He's a top putter, uh, too. 
Yeah, which uh, the approach shots thing is is obviously going to be a big deal at Shinnecock. So I don't know. I, I just I think my biggest thing with Phil is you got you got eight rounds of U.S. Opens left to win one. And what do you do with them? I, I think it would be awesome if he got into the mix with DJ or JT or somebody like that this weekend. I just think that would be so much fun at a U.S. Open. I think that the the pressure that he's putting on himself. I'm kind of scarred by after watching what happened at the Masters. Because he even admitted the pressure that he put on yeah. himself was huge. Um, yeah. You know, hope, hopefully he learned a lesson from that or, you know, there was something that he's going to be able to take, apply, and not not allow that to impact him in a way that he's, you know, sitting in the press conference after Saturday or Sunday and, you know, mentioning, you know, almost blaming himself for uh, the mental side of it, but man, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of high scores on this golf course, Kyle, and they normally start when you don't hit the fairway. And Phil, <sighs> buddy, he's uh, he's and it's like I was reading uh, the 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 Shinnecock head pro has also done a whole bunch of interviews, and you know him him talking about is like all right, and if you miss the fairway you need to be prepared to to not be able to reach the green from the rough. And Phil doesn't seem like someone who's willing to accept that truth as his reality. And I just, I, I, I think right now um, I've got Phil as a player who I'm expecting to be on the first page of the leaderboard, but I am the, I just think that there's two to three disaster holes out there that are going to end up potentially causing the difference uh, in him being, uh, a fun player to watch as you're you're kind of hoping and looking for him to make make a charge, but ultimately not the one who's going to be chasing Dustin Johnson. I think one of the hard parts for Phil is if if a U.S. Open, I mean, at a U.S. Open first tee on Thursday, you have to be so mentally locked in. Like if you're playing Memphis or you know the John Deere or whatever, you can you can sort of play your way into the tournament and yeah, you have to be mentally focused, but at a U.S. open, if you're not mentally focused, first tee ejected, you're gone. You're it's, it's over. And I just think for him to be mentally focused at the level he needs to be for 72 holes is just, it's so, it's so difficult for him right now. And used to in 2004, his talent could take over a little bit when, when he had those mental lapses and it would sustain him, and he would be right there until the end. But I just, I, I don't know. There's just an inconsistency there and a gap in his mental fortitude and talent that there wasn't in 04, in 06, in 09, whenever. And, and that's that's the part that concerns me. I just I just don't know if, if, he, can, if he can do it for 72 holes, for 280 shots. Um, from a player still looking to win a U.S. Open to – uh, what arguably one of the best U.S. Open golfers of all time, Tiger Woods? How's how's that for a hot take? Is it is that <laughs> fair? Does it can that get backed up? Yeah, I don't know the uh, I don't know the numbers. What is he? He has what three? Yeah, he, he won o o o o two at Bethpage, and then oh wait, oh, wait. And, uh, I and think a ton of top fives and top tens in between there too. It, yeah, I mean, he's obviously been unbelievable. It's so weird. I, I was thinking about this as I was writing my preview or the the storylines thing. 
I've I've been co- this is my sixth year to cover the PGA Tour. This is only my third U.S. Open of Tigers to cover, and my second in person, and probably and potentially the first weekend I will have seen him live at a U.S. Open, because the only other one that I was at that he was also playing in was 15 at Chambers Bay. He he was a disaster there, and uh, didn't didn't make it to the weekend. So I don't know. I mean here's here's the thing that's getting me with this it's it's i think it's difficult to win no matter who you are after it's difficult to win period but after five years of not winning it's just it's uncomfortable i don't care if you're tiger woods i don't care if you're ben hogan it's just it, you're just getting to that position and it's hard interesting and i don't know if he can i mean is tiger really going to beat out dj and rory and spieth and Hideki and John Rahm and Justin Thomas in the same week at a place like Shinnecock, it just, it, it, it can be a really uncomfortable place. And to me, I saw him winning at a place where he's super comfortable, Bridgestone Memorial, uh, you know, one of the places he's won a million times and not at a place like Shinnecock. But, and I wrote this for a piece on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it goes, if he does win here, to me, that's almost as as great as his win ten years ago at Torrey, because of who's in the field, because of where he came back from, because of how long it's been since he won. I I just I think it would be a monumental achievement, and 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 greater even I think than winning at Augusta would have been in in April. One of the things about the uh, the U.S. Open that I think a lot of golfers have expressed over the years is that uh, you know when you get to see some of the best golfers in the world really challenged and and really struggle, it it allows you to maybe feel uh, a little bit better about some of the the scores that you've been putting up on the scorecard. But you can improve the scores on that scorecard thanks to lessons. And you don't have to go to some fancy, uh, fancy schmancy place. Uh, you can get that done at Top Golf because here at Top Golf we do lessons differently. Uh, Top Golf's certified instructors not only help you improve your game, but they want you to have a great time too. So all of the wonderful amenities that you get at Top Golf, uh, you can have that while also having a great golf lesson. So sip snack, swing, and play better with Top Golf Coach. Book a lesson today at topgolf.com slash lessons. Once again, that's topgolf.com slash lessons. Have fun, get better, improve your game, uh, and do it all at Topgolf. Once again, book a lesson today at topgolf.com slash lessons. What do you think you have taken away as one of the the big uh, lessons or surprises from researching Shinnecock Hills? That's a that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I host a couple podcasts. If I don't have a good question every now and then, I'm not doing my job. I think I'm surprised by how few U.S. Opens it's hosted. Mm-hmm. You know this this is only the fifth one. First one, as I referenced, was late 1800s. The next one wasn't until the 1980s. I think it was 86, I believe. And then they had one in 90. 50418 and then in in 2026. So you've you've seen you're seeing a a a recent trend that has more US Opens going to Shinnecock. But I I was surprised 
that there are, I don't know, seven, eight, nine courses that have hosted, maybe not that many, but several courses that have hosted more U.S. Opens. Because I hear the term Shinnecock and I think classic U.S. Open venue. I think that's what everybody thinks. And my my buddy Andy Johnson on the fried egg has argued that it's the best U.S. Open venue. And yet it it hasn't hosted as many U.S. Opens as you might think. Now, there are a number of reasons for that. It's really difficult to get to. I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but literally everyone covering the tournament is complaining about uh, the the shuttle to, to get to Shinnecock. Uh, I'm going to uh, hopefully borrow Tiger's helicopter and just copter just, in right. each day. <laughs> and, uh, but are you staying so in the to, Hamptons? Uh, we're staying at some casino hotel thing that's Hell the opposite. Yes. The opposite way of the Hamptons. Dana Holgerson might be there. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> so anyway, there, there's a number of reasons that it has, hasn't hosted U.S. Opens, but uh, that 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 surprised me because you look at the history of it and and you talk or you read people who are architecture nerds and it's such a unique, great place for producing elite champions and. You know, it's similar to Oakmont in that sense. And I think o- Oakmont's hosted nine. This will only be the fifth for uh, Shinnecock. But yeah, that was that was probably the thing that stuck out. I was um, I was surprised and, and not totally knowledgeable about a lot of Shinnecock Hills, mostly because, uh, and I was I was describing this a little bit earlier, the just the fact that it's gone through this long drought. Um, I. And then when you get it cycled back in, it seems to me like the USGA is, is using Shinnecock uh, in a way that, you know, just selfishly and locally, I, I, I sort of saw uh, the way that they said, all right, um, you know, we're, we're going to go to, to Pinehurst in 14 and we're going to already put another one on the books to go to Pinehurst too. It's like the, it, it's like these, these courses that are getting, uh, thrown back into the rotation and almost like is is the rotation shrinking on the historic end while they rotate in like a Chambers Bay or an Aaron Hills every now and then? Uh, yeah, it's, maybe it from where it like, was. It seems like they're creating the sort of British Open Rota where right. you have Shin- Shinnecock, Oakmont, Wingfoot, Pebble, Pinehurst, uh, the Country Club. Uh, I'm probably missing a couple, but then you leave a spot like one... Uh, open spot every nine years or whatever for a place like Aaron Hills or Chambers Bay. It was weird that you got those two, two out of three years. And I don't think it was the best thing, but I, I like that. I like eight classics and a new one, eight classics and a new one or, or whatever the rotation ends up being. And I also like that there's a rotation. I, I think that's a cool part of uh, the open championship and, and something that uh, I don't, the U.S. Open has, or the USGA hasn't been as vocal about making it official as the RNA has, right? Uh, but I think it's a uh, it's a pretty cool thing. What about uh, playing the course? W- what do we think uh, it, the course favors, and what kind of players are we looking for uh, in terms? Of, and this is where you know, for the any any listeners that are in. Uh, into the fantasy or into the the U.S. Open major pools, or you know what what kind of players do you think you're looking at when you're trying to figure out who's going to have success? Well, here's one of the things that I looked at. So they, I'm sure everybody knows this by now, but the fairways were about 25 yards wide on average in 04, which is is not wide. Uh, they widened them to like 50 or 60 yards in 2012. 
And then they brought him back in last year after <laughs> Brooks Kepka committed an act of arson at Aaron Hills. <laughs> right. uh, they brought him back into Did an everybody of, committed an act of arson at Aaron Hills. Yeah, it was just, I know he was just the one that was leading the way. And I had forgotten about that until doing research for this week. Just the fact that it wasn't just Kepka. It was yeah. everybody was going low. Hideki, JT, Brian Harmon. If Brian Harmon's double digits under par, you might need to, uh, yeah, make some changes the next year. No offense to Brian Harmon. I hope he's on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Um, where are we go? Oh, so the fairway width this year is, I think it's an average of about 40 yards. So they, they're wider than they were in 04, but narrower than they were this time a year ago. And this was all a response to, Guy Yoakum wrote a great piece on Golf Digest. This was all a response to what happened at last year's US Open. So, you know, Phil went up and played the course before Memorial, and then he talked at Memorial. You know, he said some... He said some interesting things, but he also said this, it, I, I love it. And so for, for somebody like Phil, who's not a straight driver to say, I love the way the course is set up off the tee. I think that's a good thing. And, and this is a roundabout way of getting to the point that I was going to make, which is, I, th- I think the main thing that they did from 04, other than widening the fairways is they took away all the rough from around the greens. And so what that creates is a situation like a Pinehurst, like an Aaron Hills, like uh, a British Open, where if you miss the green, if you're two yards off of hitting your spot, ball's going to run away 30 yards, 40 yards, 20 yards, whatever it is. And and whoever wins this week, and Kepka did this so well last year, whoever wins this week is going to be able to get up and down from 25 yards uh, 10 times, 12 times, whatever it is, because that's where you can start to lose strokes. You know, yeah. Um, so I, I think, yes, hitting fairways is important. Whoever strikes at the best with their approach shots, I think is is that's usually the person that wins. Um, but I, I really looked at who's getting up and down from that distance, and somebody who's been pretty good at getting up and down is the number two part in the world, Justin Thomas. I mm. think he's eighth on the PGA Tour and. Uh, up and down percentage. I, I think that's somebody that could be really, really interesting this week. Who else is? Wait, where do you get these up and down percentage stats? Uh, it's pretty deep on the PGAtrue.com. Shout out to Sean Martin. Yeah, shout always. Shout out to Sean Martin. We should start every podcast to shout out to Sean Martin. Um, <laughs> as it as it pertains to the scores, uh, over under number three of our nine pack number of players under par at the end of the championship under par. Nine and a half. That's a good number. Uh, it's it's hard. It's going to be so weather dependent. If it if it rains at all, I think we'll go over that. I think you'll see quite a few guys under par. Um, but if it's super windy and and just kind of bakes a little, I think you might see. I'll, I'll, I'll go under. I'll say fewer than nine guys will be under par at the end of the week. I. I'm going to go over, but I imagine it's not, uh, I imagine it's a lot of clumps. You know what I'm saying? Like I could, I could see, uh, I could see it being about 10 to 12 guys under par at the end of the championship, but, uh, seven of them are all at one under, you know, here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. here's your top 10 guys for getting up and down, by the way, on the PGA tour right now. Uh, Louis Ustazen, Webb Simpson, Johnson Widener, Jason Day, Kevin Na, Henrik Stenson, Ricky Fowler, 
Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Ryan Moore, and then Jordan Spieth is 11. So those are some interesting names right there. Those are some interesting names. Um, am I crazy for thinking that Ryan Moore might be an actual sleeper here? <laughs> I've mentioned this. I'm going to mention his name enough uh, that he's, he's going to finish seventh. Yeah. Yeah. And be on the Ryder Cup team <laughs> again. Um, all right. So I, I meant to throw this one out earlier. Uh, over under number four, Tiger Woods level to par end of the championship. Uh, do you think he will be better or worse than one under? Uh, I think he will be, I was, <laughs> the number I was going to give you is one under. So what, uh, can I just pick one under? Yeah, you can pick, pick push. That's totally fine. Two, 279 for Tiger. Yeah. Uh, have you picked your winning score yet? Uh, I have not, but I, I know the range that I'm going to pick. I think I'm going to pick something like five under. So 275 from DJ, okay. 274 maybe. I'm, I'm at, uh, I'm locked. I'm not. I'm. I haven't locked. Locked in. Obviously, till we send our emails in. I'm going two seventy three. Wow. Even, yeah. I've even spaced it out at seventy, sixty six, sixty eight, sixty nine. Yeah. That's, I mean, that feels like that feels like because uh, then you're in with uh, seventy, sixty six. You're probably guaranteed to be in the top ten, regardless of what else happens. And then on the weekend, a two under, one under, back to back. That that's how you win a U.S. Open in my mind. Yeah, totally. And, and it's just again, like it's hard enough to try and pick a winner every week, but to pick the score when <laughs> yeah. you you don't know what the weather's gonna do, and it's just it's it's crazy. Uh, but it is fun to think about. And yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think double digits under par is gonna win, but if if it gets a little soft and somebody like DJ or JT just has the week of their lives, I mean. I guess it could happen. Ten under at Shinnecock would be crazy, though. Six of the last, only six of the last twelve U.S. Open winners have been double digits under par. Okay. Um. Oh, uh, let's go ahead and get this one out too. Uh, over under, best round of the week. Round of the week. Over under sixty five and a half. Yeah, that that's a better. Uh, this, the the prop that I saw was sixty four and a half, and I, I would go over that. I don't think anybody's going to shoot a sixty four. Charlie Hoffman will probably shoot a 61 in the first round. Um, I think I'd even go over uh, – I, I don't know. I think 65 might be the number. Yeah, I, I'll, under? I'll, say, I'll say under. Okay. I uh, I came up with the number. I I, I looked for uh, props. I, I didn't get a chance to find them, but you are number one on everyone's list. I, I counted it like this. Uh, I said if, if your best scoring opportunities are at the par four first – the par four fourth, the par five fifth, uh, the par four eighth, and then sort of either 15 or 16. I think those are like five, five to six decent scoring opportunities. And so if you give one back somewhere in there, uh, maybe at nine, 10 or 11, then, then you probably end up about, you know, four under five under something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting because a lot of the, and I was reading about this, a lot of the scoring opportunities are in the first, like you said, five or six holes. And so you, you, you get out of the gate and you don't even have a chance to like step into your round before you got to start putting up birdies. Right. And if you don't do, if you don't do it there, then you're just kind of hanging on throughout. And uh, I don't know, that's, I don't love that, like that, 
because th- that's one of the things about Augusta that makes it so compelling, right? Is you always have three scoring these, opportunities on the back nine. Yeah. And so it's always something to look forward to. And at a place like Shinnecock where those scoring opportunities come on the front and in, in the first few holes, I, I don't, I, I mean, it's nitpicking, but I, I don't, I don't love the way that that's set up. Yeah. The, uh, the club pro said if whoever, whoever plays nine, 10 and 11, even par through four days is probably the winner. So that's crazy. If you want, if you want, that's crazy. If you want, if you want your keys, keys to victory, um, then that might be one as you're watching, uh, as we go, if you want your keys to, to hiring the best kind of talent, well then uh, look no further than our, our longtime friends, of course, at ZipRecruiter. So, Uh, If you're hiring and you're tired of waiting and waiting for the right people to see your posting, well, then you need to get with ZipRecruiter because ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the right people with the right experience, and then it reaches out to them, inviting them to apply to your job. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there right now. ZipRecruiter is going to be how you find them. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications that you receive so that you are never, ever, ever going to miss a great match. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. What's that? Yeah, that's right. Free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut ziprecruiter.com slash first cut. Do I need to say it again? Nah, they got it. It's ziprecruiter.com slash first cut. It's ZipRecruiter. It is the smartest way to hire. Our thanks to our longtime friends at ZipRecruiter. Uh, back to the storylines. Ricky, the, the, uh, the player who uh, has gotten a tag on this podcast as his game is suited for the opens. How are we feeling about Fowler right now? I feel great. I, I wanted to pick him. I picked him for Augusta. He almost won. It, this this course, uh, it feels like if he's on, it feels a little rickyish. Like, and and we talked about this, right? Aaron Hills was bad for him because he needed a little giddy up at the end, and he just that's just not. It's not really how he's wired. You know? Oh yeah, we said um, that's not the way that he wins his first major. He wins his first yeah. major where uh, a one under on Sunday is the best score, or like the the score that he needs to win, not yep. uh, going out to shoot a sixty five and chasing the pack. Totally. And so, the windier the better for him this week. Like I, I think that he should want bad weather. I've always thought that he'd win an open first, like a three over at Carnoustie or something. Maybe that happens this year. You know, who knows. Uh, but yeah, I, I, th- you know, he's not, his numbers aren't as good as maybe the last few years they have been, but his numbers weren't very good going into the masters either. And he nearly won there. So I, I feel pretty good about him and I, I man, I, I always go back to some majors feel like they should be worth more than one majors. If you win Shinnecock with this field, you should get like a trophy and a half. No, I'm, get, I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna go back on this because if we are going back to being worth more than one, that means that I owe Patrick Reed like three green jackets. <laughs> and I'm not. You know what? And I'm just not prepared to do that right now. Maybe as a, a, as maybe a golf a pair fan, of pants? yeah, yeah. As a golf as a golf fan, I am not prepared 
to exalt Patrick Reed because he won the the triple masters. I know. I know, but it 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 is true like winning at Shinnecock is it's just different than winning a PGA at Baltusrol. Right. And yet agree. We view them the same. And that's fine. I mean, it's all it's all it's just whatever. It's subjective, it's arbitrary. It's all of those things. But yeah, man, winning when whoever wins this US Open, especially if it's somebody who's won a major before, like if DJ collects Oakmont and Shinnecock in two or three years to get to nineteen wins on the PJ Tour, I mean, my gosh, like put put him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's already going to be in the Hall of Fame, but that's just that's a big big deal. And uh, man, I'm excited about this week. I can't wait. Um, what was the what is the the rare collection? Of players when a with Dustin Johnson, it's like Dustin Johnson and Tiger Woods uh, are players with what is it, eighteen or more yeah. wins and one major. Yeah, since so there's thirty guys that have won eighteen or more times since World War II and also won a major. Twenty eight are in the Hall of Fame, and the other two are DJ and Tiger. Right. Jeez. That was that was a Justin Rice. Uh, that was a Justin Rice special. That's like his wheelhouse right there. Um. Uh. Ricky note. So. You mentioned the numbers. More than a half stroke difference in strokes gained putting and strokes gained total from twenty seven to twenty eighteen. He was a he was a statistical beast in those two areas. One of the best on tour last year. Uh, but to your point, even with like looking at his his profile stat line, it looks wildly unimpressive. But we're still talking about a player who is the runner up at Augusta, uh, t fourteen at Fort Worth with four sub seventy rounds. And then T eight at Memorial, like that's that's where I go back to uh, the old the old Kyle Porter is like well I mean if 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 he's not putting well then I'm I'm gonna imagine that that's gonna click eventually because he's mm-hmm. one of the better putters on the PGA Tour. That's where I look at Ricky Fowler, um, a, a guy who I'm I'm gonna identify for our expert picks as my top ten lock. Please say that he's not your top ten lock as well. Uh, no, he's not. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I was, I've got him in, I think he'll be top five. I've got him as my top 10 lock. And if I wasn't so bullish on DJ, I think Ricky Fowler's a great pick to win. Yeah, I do too. And I, if he's another guy, it feels like he's coming in a little bit under the radar. Totally. Uh, it, I mean, it's, I don't know. You can make the case that everybody's coming in under the radar because there's so many guys to talk about. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, would not be surprised at all if Ricky wins his first uh, at Shinnecock in this field. And I, and I think th- I think the Masters was a big deal for him. That was we, we always talk about like oh he's got you know fifteen top ten what, whatever the numbers are to eight top fives and all this stuff. There's there's a difference. Like he could have won the Masters on Sunday at Augusta. He could not have won the 2014 PGA on Sunday at Valhalla. That was not going to happen. Right, and he didn't. But Augusta on Sunday, Patrick Reed's shot on 17 goes past the hole instead of hitting the pin. Uh, we might be in a playoff, and Ricky might have a green jacket right now. So that was a real thing, and I think that was good for him. And, you know, we talked about collecting experience earlier. I, I think that he's incredibly, pardon the pun, driven to get his first uh, major championship and would not be surprised at all if it happened at Shinnecock. Um, Jordan Spieth. Not uh, under the radar since he's still sitting at the top of the like it's him, Rory, and DJ sort of in that top echelon of when it comes to the betting odds. 
Um, he's he's Jordan Spieth, so it's not like he's going to be uh, slept on. But uh, you know, I I look at him, and I'm expecting that at some point we are gonna we're gonna see him flip the switch during the season, like he does almost every year. But in this particular field, I've found myself very, very... I've found myself struggling to get behind the idea that this is going to be uh, a win for him. What would be his, what, second U.S. Open in 15, 16, 17, four years. Yeah, I I don't know how to feel about speed. No top 20s since the Masters. Just putting atrociously. He's like 190th on tour in, put, in strokes game putting. It's just awful. And yet, he's like fifth or fourth in Tita Green. He shoots a nearly a 62 to get into a playoff at the Masters. I just he he's one of the handful of guys that I look at the stats and I'm like, nah, I don't know if I care about these. Like it's a it's a major, and he's Spieth. I, I still think we're sort of underrating Jordan Spieth historically. Like he's he's all time great, and I think that the way his career pans out will prove that will be evidence of that and again that's subjective that's an that's my opinion but i i think we're i think we're going to see that over the next 10 or 15 years that he's a, he's an all-timer and uh yeah i mean i i don't know the, the putting is is concerning though but again like like you said if you're if you're looking for a correction to who jordan spieth is as a putter uh and if he hits it like he's been hitting it I mean, it's we could we could see him win the U.S. Open, you know, and uh, I don't know, but there's just there's not I, I don't know I, I'm I'm I know I'm playing both sides right now, and and that's sort of how I feel about him. I don't know how to feel. Uh, over under Jordan Spieth's lowest round um, at Shinnecock, sixty eight and a half. I'll say he shoots a sixty eight. I'll go under that. Okay, I don't think he, I. I think that that was probably the right. That that was a number I felt good about. But uh, yeah, I, my the point and the premise of of the discussion that I was sort of looking at was, I if Jordan Spieth wins this, I don't think it's him going low. I just don't think he's playing well enough. I think that that's where we go back to uh, Jordan Spieth, the the man whose mind is built perfectly to win majors. Where yeah. if if the the lead is at two under, or if you know all of a sudden. Thing, things are kind of shaping up or if there's some weather like Jordan Spieth's a player that I, I need to see him, um, you know, emerge from the crowded pack more than I expect to see him drop a 65 on the card and, and establish a three shot lead on everybody else at this particular tournament, given the way that he's played so far. Yeah, I agree. But if he's at two over and like two back going into Sunday, that's, that's a problem for the rest of the field. He's just so good from that position. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm so intrigued by how Shinnecock is a, is a place where like your legacy can, can really take shape. We'll talk about that in a minute with Rory. Uh, but we talked about it with DJ and, and all these guys to win a U.S. open at Shinnecock is a huge, huge deal. And for Rory or for, uh, for Spieth to get, what would be his fourth major at a place like that in this field? I mean, that's a that's massive, and uh, it'd be pretty crazy if it happened given the year that he's had so far. Um, when 
I, I was I was very surprised not to see Justin Thomas throwing flamethrowers at me for all the you know terrible talk that I was tossing around on last week's podcast, talking to <laughs> the the virtual unknown Justin Thomas heading into the 2017 calendar year. Uh, but you know you want to talk about uh, something that could just be throwing an aerosol can into the campfire. Uh, if if Justin Thomas, who you know goes on this this big uh, you know, this big media tour. He was the number one player in the world. Dustin Johnson takes number one from him. If if Justin Thomas turns around, wins his his second in major in, in three tries and does so, like you said, at a, at a place like Shinnecock, he would retake number one from DJ, creating this awesome DJ VJT, uh, which just sounds so great coming off the tongue. But like if, if we could have the two of those trading number one back and forth in a way that, you know, when you were talking about the history of the number one, there was uh, Tiger and VJ, remember, going back and forth over yeah. the number one. If, we, if, that was our, if that was our summer battle between those two, uh, I think it would be so much fun. And I think that Justin Thomas is set up to have a pretty good performance. I'm expecting a pretty good performance from Justin Thomas. Yeah, I I agree. You know, I, I mentioned earlier about uh, his get, his ability to get up and down to scramble around greens. I think that's going to be so big this week. I, I think one of the things that's sort of under like we think when we think when people think about Justin Thomas, they think oh he's just really long off the tee, and uh, you know he's small and he hits it a long way. All these different things. He's he his all around game is really good, and. I just I feel like you're going to get somebody who this is, you know, a hot take or a cold take, but you're going to get somebody who's all all around game is really clicking uh, this week at Shinnecock. And that's why I look at guys like DJ and JT and it's like they're not just long drivers of the ball. They're great around the greens. Jason Day, great around the greens. Uh, all three of those guys are underrated putters. Jason Day is, ha- again, having one of the best putting seasons ever. Justin Thomas is a really, really good putter. Dustin Johnson's a really good putter, and he has, for whatever reason, this label as being a bad putter. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, all of these guys obviously have a chance to win, but it's it's easier to envision some of them winning than others. And I think JT is one of the guys that it's easiest to envision winning. The only reason Dustin Johnson has that reputation is because of Chambers Bay. <laughs> yeah, well, that wasn't that wasn't good, isn't it? Isn't it weird? Like, just in uh, just as we're talking, I'm thinking about this major. It almost feels like a different sport like the four majors because of the, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, we talk about majors the way we talk about an an NBA finals. We talk about legacies and, you know, all these different statistics and all this different stuff. And, and DJ winning yesterday at Memphis. I mean, it was, it was cool. It was, it was, it mattered, but it was, it was just, I can't get over the disparity between what it would mean for DJ to win at Shinnecock this week versus winning last week at, at Memphis, even though you're dealing with a lot of the same guys in, in both of those fields. Yeah, well, it's because nobody remembers that the Atlanta Hawks won 63 games with Mike Bolden. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like that's – you are going to get the the – you know, things like legacy are determined by the people who don't watch it week in, week out, game in, game out. Um, the we the tournament by tournament the the 
that those sort of conversations are the conversations that take place at the, the with your family, with, with your coworkers, uh, with with strangers in the waiting room as your car is being serviced. Like those those conversations are the ones that are going to determine from in, in the eyes of sports fans, you know what what things are going to look like. And uh, yeah, I just like it is in in the analytical sense. It is you know wild. And, you know, we should be taking, we should be taking it, you know, one stroke at a time, one tournament at a time. We should be able to have the, like you've said, equal value placed on different things. But that's, that's not the way the, the conversation works, particularly in an individual sport. I, uh, I'm, I'm with you, but man, this is, uh, this, this is, this whole major season is going to pack years worth of implications into it. Totally. Totally agree. And especially if you get, it's easier to decipher what it means if you get guys that have won majors before adding to that total. I think it's harder when you get a Patrick Reed one in his first because you're like, well, this is, this might be a one off. It's, it's, it, I don't know. But then it changes like how you think about Patrick Reed. Like, is he a three time major winner? I, I don't, I don't know. But it, it totally reshapes guys' trajectories, their careers, their legacies, all those different things. And I just I love that that part of of the sport because I think it's fascinating. I think it's super interesting to talk about. Uh, and I just I'm enamored by the the whole idea of it. All right, Rory. Um, <laughs> speaking of speaking of things I'm enamored with. Yeah, speaking of things you're enamored with, uh, I. I've got this awful thought in my head that Rory McIlroy doesn't care about winning the U S open this year. Why is that? I don't know. I, you, you tell me, I just, it, we keep, we, we keep looking at all these top golfers and I, I think Rory McIlroy wants to play well. I just, I don't think that Shinnecock Hills and, and the U S open and, you know, playing in the USGA's tournament, I just don't think it's the apple of his eye. I just don't think it's it's the crown jewel. He's got a U.S. Open, and I, I, I don't think that there's a whole lot of legacy-driven motivation, and I, I think that he just seems to be uh, someone who, for, for, some, for unfair reasons, I am being totally unfair, but I could imagine him looking forward to the event. He hopes he plays well. He would love to win, but... Uh, if it's if it's just a nice trip around Shinnecock, uh, historic golf course for a couple times, and then he gets out of there, I I think that he would not be heartbroken. Yeah, I think it's I think he views it differently than he views the Masters, which he's obviously just is in his head and in a in a in the sense that he's trying to figure it out and solve the puzzle. Uh, it's different than a PGA, which I think he thinks he should win every, every year. single one of them. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, like he looks at the PGA the way that uh, Albert Pujols looked at the Home Run Derby. <laughs> you know, he's like, no, nah, this is mine. Let's go. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think he views the U.S. Open differently. Now, I don't know whether that lessens or increases his desire to win it. But I do think he views it differently than uh, than the other three majors. And I mean, recent history shows that he's only had one top ten since he won it in 2011. I think he's had one. I think he's only had one. I know he was top ten in 2015 at Chambers Bay. He missed the cut at Oakmont. He missed the cut at Aaron Hills. 
And I think the sort of, I guess, missing piece on his resume is he's won at, he's won two PGAs. PGA is totally different than a USGA, than an Augusta, than an RNA setup. His US Open was a, for all intents and purposes, a, a PGA masquerading as a US Open. Agree. And he won at, where do you want at for the British Open? Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I think he won at 16 under or whatever. So he, he has not been in like a, he he hasn't been in that like win the U.S. Open at, at one over type tournament. Seven oh two over seventy two. Yeah, to beat Jason Day by one in this just slugfest, you know, just just bout in which I in which I had to make a bunch of pars, and that's just not the way it, it, it's. He thinks about golf differently than I think Ricky Fowler. Or and and that's why I think somebody like DJ is so impressive because it doesn't matter how it's set up, where it's set up. I think John Rahm is kind of wired this way. Like he, they'll just they'll just beat you however they have to beat you. And Rory has not really proven that he can do that. It sounds crazy to say that about somebody who's one of the best Euros ever. Um, but man, it, it this this to me would be. I know Augusta is like the last piece of the resume. Like that's it. That's the one. But to me, it's it's Augusta plus a really difficult either U.S. Open or Open Championship. And so I I think for him, like he get and I I wrote this. If you take any of the like top twenty guys in the world, just just name like a random combination of those three guys outside of Tiger and Phil. And I bet they don't have collectively as many majors as Rory has. And it's just, it's so easy to forget that. For him to win a U.S. Open at Shinnecock to get to five before turning age 30, uh, I think only Tiger, Nicholas, and Jones have had uh, had five when they turned 30. Mm. And he could get there. And to do it on this course, again, in this field would be, uh, that'd be historic stuff for him. And uh, to me, something that he needs on his resume to round him out as one of the best of all time. Uh, Rory McIlroy finish on Sunday over under 19 and a half. I'll go over. I think he makes the cut, but isn't a real true factor this week. Okay. Um, it, it, I, I'm, I'm craving a, a heavyweight just battle though. Like Rory, DJ, JT and speed JT and DJ, something like that. We haven't, we don't really had that. I mean, we had Rose and Sergio at the Masters last year, but I, I would love that for a U.S. Open. I, I, I just, I don't feel like there's been a ton of that uh, in this era. And it seems like, like you look back on old eras, and it's, it, it fe- like the way people talk about them, it feels like every tournament was Nicholas against Palmer coming down the stretch. I know that's not a reality, right? But I'd like, I'd like to get it just. Just one time, give me give me two of the best going at it on a Sunday afternoon. Um, any all right before we get it, get you out of here. Any any last bold takes? Uh, Patrick Reed wears something f- from this year's Ryder Cup attire. Uh. He, st- he <laughs> stole something at Memorial when they were trying stuff on, and he's going to wear it at the U.S. Open. 
Did he really steal something or is that part of your bold I, prediction? I, I, that's part of my prediction. That'd be amazing if he did. Are you ready for my bold prediction? <laughs> Let's hear it. I think it, I think it is going to be a heavyweight and literally heavyweights because <laughs> my one and two is DJ and Rom. And I think it's just, the, <laughs> I think it's the two of them on Sunday. Like maybe the lead starts at four at the beginning of the day. And then my winning score is DJ at seven under. I think it's mm-hmm. DJ and John Rom going toe to toe, shot for shot. That would be awesome. I mean, something like that. You know, the last we saw, uh, we saw Kepka by four. That was kind of whatever on Sunday. DJ wins by three. That was okay. But the guys, I mean, he had like Furick and and uh, who else was it? Scott Piercy? I think was up there. That's you know, that's not great. I guess we got DJ and and Speeth, but that was that was kind of a. I mean, D- Speed doubled 17 and and uh, DJ three putted 18. So that wasn't really like a, you know, that was kind of both of them limping home. So I don't know. I guess I shouldn't complain with how good the golf is right now. But I'd love to see two or three of the of the, the you, big daddies of the sport. Yeah, yeah, you want Stinson and Phil from the British. Yeah, yeah. Not, but with but with JT and Ricky or yeah. Rory and Speed, Rory and Speed would be amazing. That would be amazing. He is Kyle Porter. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. Safe travels, Kyle. Uh, we will be following you for all the updates from Shinnecock Hills and uh, in, in your time at the casino with Dana Holgerson. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff.